Welcome back to Psych Your Triumph. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. I just want to thank all of our new listeners. We appreciate that your love and support that you've been showing us on Instagram and Twitter so much. As always, if you want to show your support, please give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to us on, or you can really show us some love by throwing us a few dollars through our Patreon page, our Venmo accounts, links down below as always. This week, we're going to France to look into the case of Marie-Elizabeth Cons-Boupal, a woman whose pathological lying defined her life and her family's for decades before resulting in murder. Now, pathological lying, also known as pseudiologica fantastica or mythomania, is a behavior of habitual or compulsive lying. It was first described in medical literature in 1891 by Anton Dulbrock. Although it is a very controversial topic in the psychological community, pathological lying has been defined as falsification entirely disproportionate to any discernible end in view and may be very extensive and very complicated and can manifest over a period of years or even a lifetime. Defining characteristics of pathological lying include a definitively internal, not external, motivation for behavior that can be discerned clinically. In other words, long-lasting extortion or habitual spousal battery may not cause a person to lie make may excuse me may cause a person to lie repeatedly but the lying is not pathological the stories told tend toward presenting the liar in a favorable light the liar decorates their own person by telling stories that make them the hero or the victim for example the person might be presented as extraordinarily brave or as knowing or being related to famous people or having great power or being a position of wealth. Some psychiatrists distinguish compulsive from pathological lying, while others consider them the same, yet even others deny the existence of compulsive lying altogether. This remains an area of extreme controversy. Diagnosing pathological lying can be difficult. Psychologists are trained to understand the issues that this diagnosis can present. It's listed in the Diagnostic and Mental Disorder Manual, and it is a standalone disorder as well as being a symptom of other disorders such as psychopathy, antisocial personality disorder, narcissism, and histrionic personality disorder. But people who are pathological liars may not possess any of the other disorders. It has been shown through lie detector tests that pathological liars exhibit arousal, stress, and guilt from their deceptions. This is different from psychopaths who experience none of those things. People affected by antisocial personality disorder lie for external personal profit, i.e. money, sex, or power. Pathological lying is strictly internal. The difference between borderline personality disorder and pathological lying is that a borderline personality disorder desperately tries to cope with their feelings of abandonment, mistreatment, or rejection by making empty threats of things such as suicide or falsely accusing people of things, whereas pathological liars do not feel rejected. They have high levels of self-assurance that help them lie successfully. Unlike those with histrionic personality, pathological liars are more verbally dramatic rather than being sexually flamboyant. Narcissists think they have achieved perfection and they are unempathetic to others. Pathological liars 
do not show these antisocial behaviors, and they often lie because they think their life is not interesting enough. The only diagnostic in our current system where purposeless, internally motivated deception is listed as a basis for a disorder. This diagnosis deals with people who lie about having physiological or psychological disorders. People who are pathological liars tend to lie about their identities and past histories. Since symptoms don't always match up, the individual may go undiagnosed. They could be diagnosed under the catch-all of having a personality disorder, um, which tends to be used generically for any range of adult personality and behavior disorders. They can't be classified under anything else. Here is where specified disorders are as such are psychological reasons, internal things, not things like gaining material possessions. And behavior would also need to meet necessary conditions to be viewed as an illness. Pathological lying, just to be noted, is considered the first factor on the list of psychopathy. Now, the average onset of pathological lying is 15 or 16 years old when the level of intelligence is average or above average. Pathological liars have also shown above average verbal skills as opposed to having performance abilities. And 30% of people who are pathological liars have chaotic home environments where a parent or family member had a mental illness. It is occurrence found to be equally equivalent in men and women. Derry Bopal was a French jockey born on September 28, 1958 in Bologna, Balancourt. She was the first French woman with an amateur jockey license and was also one of the first French women in, to win any major races. In 1982, Dari met on the racetrack Jacques Perrault, a lawyer. Dari became pregnant almost immediately and they were married within a year. Her husband was handsome an amiable and an extreme playboy. He was a very successful and ambitious lawyer and best friends with the prime minister, Laurent Fabius. It seemed perfectly fitting that he should marry a girl who could have come straight from a soap opera. Their wedding in April of 1982 was predictably beautiful and caught the public's imagination. After all, it's not every day that two society personalities get married with the prime minister as best man. However, Perry, 36, was a massive womanizer and their marriage began to fall apart. Derry was extremely jealous and possessive, while her husband does not seem to have been faithful at all. The couple fought regularly and violently, quite often in public. He was bored by her incessant nagging and eventually decided to file for divorce and sought custody of their child. During the vicious custody battle over their three-year-old son, Perry hired an investigator to dig up dirt on his wife. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, he became frightened. He instructed his friends to insist on an autopsy if he died. Only days later, on his way to meet with his mother-in-law, Perry was found shot to death. Two bullets to the head and one to his heart. Because of the high profile of those close to him, the murder immediately was all over the news and stayed there for a very long time. The only witness was a man in a neighboring apartment, but all he could tell police was that he was at his desk when he heard a gunshot. 
he thought to himself, this is not the Wild West, and he carried on. And then, only after the third gunshot, did he open his door to investigate. Petty was sprawled on the floor, already dead, and his assailant had vanished. Ballistic experts were able to identify the murder weapon as a rare antique revolver, either a Harrington and Richardson 1906 or an Ivor Johnson target model from the 30s. Either way, the gun was a type that is not generally available in France, and this caused investigators to conclude that the job was done by a hitman who did not want the weapon to be identified. Working on this assumption that the murder had been a contract killing, it was not long before suspicion fell on his mother-in-law. She had a motive, protecting the interests of her daughter and her grandson. But was this enough of a motive to murder someone? Besides, she had a cast iron alibi. That evening she was dining with friends, all of whom vouched for her before, during, and after the killing. The investigation took nearly nine years, but piece by piece, detectives managed to assemble the jigsaw that was her life. A first clue to the real motive came when they learned that Petty had confided to a friend that he had dug up incriminating information about his mother-in-law involving fraud. Elizabeth Collins had been married a quarter of a century earlier when, like her daughter Daddy, she was already pregnant. Her husband, a Tunisian surgeon, Nassim Robert Boutbal, was much older than his bride and definitely not a family man. Both of them being independent spirits, the pair soon separated through mutual consent, and it is rumored that a financial deal was arranged that if she told her friends and family he was dead, everything would be fine. He never saw his daughter. The Tunisian surgeon, Marie claimed was dead, was actually living a few minutes from her and her daughter right there in Paris. They found that after qualifying as a lawyer, Marie Elizabeth Cons had joined a Paris firm specializing in litigation that had been given charge of a massive account concerning a Roman Catholic missionary society. Over the years, she had systematically embezzled $5 million from the society and funneled the money into Swiss bank accounts. When her crime was discovered, she had been fired and disbarred from practicing law. The missionaries never brought charges against her. Was this an extreme case of Christian forgiveness or was it, as was once implied, on orders from the Vatican? <laughs> In the meantime, police found several other victims of hers. And the woman started being known as the Iron Lady. One of her victims was Denise Montavani, a childhood friend that she stole 700,000 francs from in 1963. She was also involved in a series of money laundering schemes. She had also faked five separate cancers and made up a dead brother as part of a scheme to avoid paying taxes. Meanwhile, her daughter, Daddy, was supposed to have gone to Harvard, but investigators could find no record of her ever attending. And as for the wealthy American the world believed had funded Daddy's racing career, turned out to be a cousin. This is where the case became bogged down, until on May 5th, 1988, two and a half years after the slaying of Petty, the body of Bruno Dasik, a sales representative and small-time crook, was found floating on a canal in Le Havre in Normandy. 
At first, the case was treated as a straightforward drowning, but two days later, his burned-out automobile was found not far away. The case was immediately reopened and an autopsy ordered, in which it found that he hadn't drowned at all, but had been killed by a gunshot through the neck. The automobile had apparently been destroyed as a way to get rid of evidence in what now seemed to be a liquidation of sorts. A degenerate gambler, Basic, had been spending freely in local casinos. But where had the money come from? Closer investigation revealed that he had been known to do jobs for local criminal bosses. The local police peeled through Mary address book and came across the phone number of a Parisian shopkeeper, her butcher. Marie used to go to his shop and go in the back and make phone calls. She used this trick because she knew that her personal line could have possibly been taped. What she did not know was that the butcher's line was tapped as well. Since 1986, investigators had been tearing out their hair trying to figure out cryptic transcripts of his coded conversations with the mysterious Bob. Then, after the death of Dusak, they realized Bob was Dusak. A taxi driver testified that Marie Conspopol had hired him and met Dusak, to whom she gave a packet of money two weeks before the murder. And this is where her lies caught up with her. The driver only remembered the fare because she had told him a fantastic story about how her son-in-law dangled her grandson over the third floor balcony in order to terrorize him and her daughter. At this stage of her life, she could not help but to lie about everything. Faced with proof that she had withdrawn $300,000 from her bank account in Switzerland, she finally admitted that she had met with Dasek but went off down fantasy lane once again by claiming that he was a courier helping her embezzle funds to the Vatican. She even went so far as to produce a document which she claimed attested to her being a member of the Vatican's, ready? The Vatican's secret service that she was sworn to secrecy and subject to divine retribution, meaning that if she broke her secrecy, it could cost the lives of her and her family. During her trial, which took four weeks, the Iron Lady stood firm in her denial of the accusations against her, that she was possibly in complicity of committing murder. Even expert witnesses, such as psychiatrists and handwriting specialists, became disoriented in her labyrinth of lies. Though she did admit to the trial judge that she occasionally embroidered facts for her own amusement, the judge, Marie Odile Bertella Joffrey, remembers that Marie had multiple heart attacks during the trial. And she stated as saying, quote, she was a little comedian. She gave us real theater, a festival of fabrications, end quote. Now, faced with the evidence of her involvement with Desek, the defense attorney, a personal friend of hers, was reduced to claiming that there is no evidence to show that her stories were untrue. So, in other words, he went with the pulp fiction defense of the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Either way, he told the jury that had a book or play been written using this plot, a publisher would have thrown it out the window saying it was far too far-fetched. But the jury didn't find it so far-fetched. 
and she was convicted and sentenced to 15 years. Having already been in custody for five years, she was released after serving only nine. While in prison, she started a Bible study and she had a massive clique of admirers that followed her around the jail. When she wasn't entertaining them with readings from literature or lectures on history, she treated them to recitals of Bach on a piano she was allowed to have. On her release, she went to live with her daughter, Derry, and her grandson. Well, that's it for this week. But join us in two weeks when we look into how the heir of one of the richest families in the United States started one of the largest drug trafficking organizations in the U.S. that ended up funding the Weather Underground, one of America's first domestic terror organizations. In the meantime, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.